EcoHealth, your internet radio. Welcome and good afternoon here on Radio EcoHealth, and it's the road trip show. And the microphone is still buzzing in my ears. I still don't know what's the cause of it. <laughs> Your cobras. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> Good oh, afternoon. Uh, Diedrich is back from his trip uh, and he's going to tell us a little bit about that, what happened on his trip. And tell us about the the, the downloads on the uh, podcasts. No, we are. We're having, we're having an awesome reaction to the podcasts on our on our um on our feed we are at this stage we've just cracked what i say i think 50 59 countries which is i think four or five apps since we last reported yeah um and let's have a look here on the statistics 411 downloads in the last 30 days so that number's also nice. slowly climbing per 30 days yeah, that's nice and we had a day last week saturday 36 downloads in a day wow nice. so that's really cool that's that seems to be taking off nicely we also got good downloads last week of the app that got reported in by google and by apple oh nice so okay. it's starting it looks like it's really really starting nicely and uh our best, our best episode at this stage is still the one um, about the Kruger Park. Okay. The the magical far northern region. Series two, episode one. One hundred and twenty-three downloads of that one. Nice. And then our very very first episode is coming in just behind that at one hundred and twelve. But oh, it looks nice. like people enjoy the Kruger Park stories. Yeah. Because yeah. the other one. That's over the hundred is also the one um, the Kruger Park sort of the cent- south south of the Olifants River, but the Olifants and Chokwan area is also doing very well. It's also cracked over a hundred downloads in total. Nice. So it's nice. It's nice to see that folks are enjoying what we're putting out there. The the downloads are improving all the time. Yes, no, that's and, awesome. Uh, it's just cool. Cool to see that people are enjoying it. And we've got oh, we just cracked another one. One thousand seven hundred and sixty-seven downloads in total. Ah, moy man, moy man. But it's interesting to see what what really interests me on this one is, like I always said, you know, Europe has always been our main source of tourists, especially Great Britain, the Netherlands, France. Those are the three biggest yeah. sources historically of tourists to South Africa. But if I look at the the downloads, the USA comes in just after South Africa. South Africa gives us the most downloads. I think that's kind of kind of logical, seeing as we're based here and yeah, yeah. friends and family and what have you are listening by probably by force. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the country that comes in seriously second is the United States, and only yeah. after that Germany, then New Zealand. New Zealand, oh, they climbed a couple of spots. Then the United Kingdom, then Ireland, then only Netherlands. Okay. So our traditional sources of tourists have taken second place to the USA. Yeah. And that that bears out the stats that I gave last a couple of weeks ago when one of the tourism websites was reporting that the USA is now actually our biggest source of tourists. Yeah. And a lot of speculation why. And it's probably because of the crazy restrictions in Europe. Maybe it turns now that England has stopped everything and England has decided to go back to uh, zero restrictions, zero masks, zero zero yeah. nothings. They've just scrapped the whole lot. They, they've decided to live with a stupid virus. 
<laughs> and uh, they just said, no, it's just it's not happening anymore. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens, and particularly in light of yesterday's announcement um, that we no longer require PCR tests for the, for coming into South Africa. As of today, I think it is, or yeah. as of tomorrow. But you do need when you go into the venue. That's so you need. Idiotic. I think you need either proof of vaccination or something to go into venue. But to yeah. come into South Africa, you no longer need a PCR test. But you do need if you show your vaccination certificates. Yeah, you know what? It's great news. Check on some clarity about that one. But it's great news. It just yeah. means it just because I mean I've just I've just gone through the whole issue and we'll we'll chat about that in the course of this little <laughs> episode of these stupid PCR tests and where yeah. and what and how and 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 how it all works. But I figured this 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 little episode. I don't think we're going to do an actual road trip as such. Well, we can do a road trip. I'll chat about the itinerary that I've just done. Yeah. And bearing it out, it was clients from the USA. It was um, a father with a daughter. Yeah. That's and right. it started with an email contact. The guy found me. I think he found me through my big operator because he couldn't make the main the big <coughs> bus tour dates. And. It, it was a very simple request. He wanted to see animals and he wanted to see Cape Town. Okay. So he wanted wildlife <laughs> in Cape Town. And that, that's normally the two of the major highlights yeah. of South Africa. And that's what South Africa is good at. Yeah. Okay. We're good at putting that stuff together for them. So <laughs> after a whole flurry of emails up and down, we eventually settled on an itinerary where I would meet him in Cape Town. Yeah. And we'd spend a couple of days in Cape Town. Then we'd fly to Hoodsprite. Yes. Now, Hoodsprite, I don't think, features on many people's Radar. agendas as a, <laughs> as, as, a, as a destination. Yeah. But anyway, there's a regional airline that now does local flights, and I think it's every day between Cape Town and Hoodsprite, as well as Hoodsprite Joburg, and, one, and uh, I think it's possibly Hoodsprite Durban, I don't know. Okay. But, so we decide, okay, we'll meet in Cape Town, and we hop an airplane, fly up to Hoodsprite, then from Hoodsprite going to Kruger, I mean, it's literally, it's... That's no, I think 57 or 62 kilometers or something from Hoodsprite to Open Gate. Oh, yeah. So you're like right there. Yes. And that central area of Kruger is my, one of my favorite areas anyway. So this worked, it worked out perfectly. So we had, then we booked four nights in Kruger and then via the Panorama route yeah. to come home. But anyway, so I had to leave a day or two before arrival day. And I drove up to Hoodsprite. I dropped my car and parked it at Hoodsprite Airport. And... Surprisingly enough, very nicely organized, very well-run little airport. Is it? It's in the okay. middle of a game park, so I don't think anyone's going to steal the cars because there's oh, lions nice. and things running around outside the <laughs> outside the, <laughs> the airport. Expensive, expensive parking. Is it? Airport oh, parking wow. is crazy, and the guys need to watch it because I think they're actually killing their own market. Yeah. And there's one or two other spots that I'm going to have a serious gripe about as well on um, entrance fees and stuff. <laughs> but I dropped my car to Hoodsprite. And small little regional airline, and flew to Cape Town, two hours, 45 minutes or something, through to Cape Town, a little, okay. I think it's a 45-seater yeah. jet, so it was about half full, surprisingly enough. Okay. Again, good to see that, because you don't think Hoodsprite Cape Town would be any kind of major route. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just good to see. Lots of people traveling, starting to fly, land in Cape Town. First challenge, I need to find higher car. <laughs> and it was the weekend of the Argus. Oh. So, <laughs> so I sally forth into the car hire section of the airport. I go to the first guys that I always use. Yeah. They had no cars. Ooh, no lovely. cars. 
<laughs> Most of the reason being that the car hire companies ditched their fleets because of COVID. Oh, yeah, Aina. Aina. They Yikes. got rid of their motor cars because of COVID. And they haven't quite recovered and are not and haven't yet rebuilt their fleets. Yes. So yeah. that was that was sort of hit number one of COVID that I noticed in the tourism side of stuff. There's no higher cars. Yeah. Or you've got to seriously pre-book a car. So eventually I found a car on, I think it was the third office that I walked into. Yeah. Office number two had a little car for me. It was a tiny little hatchbacky thing. And I thought me and two Americans <laughs> are lucky he's not going to fit in that thing. <laughs> and eventually I found a, a, a nice little car on the, at the last one. So that so that got resolved. Very nice little, um, what is it? It was a Toyota... So it's one of the small little SUVs. Very nice little okay. car. Okay, yeah. So that was sort of the first impact that I saw of COVID on the car hire. Yeah. Obviously, they were very busy with um, with the Argus cycle tour and stuff. But as yet, it's a little it's a little red flag going. Hang on, guys, we need to up our game here. You can't run out of hire cars. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not going to do tourism any good whatsoever. Yeah. But anyway, so that night into into my hotel I stayed a little the nice very nice hotel at the waterfront and the hotel was absolutely packed with the Argos guy so okay and it was very strange seeing people lovingly taking their bicycles into their bedrooms it was I <laughs> <laughs> oh, love the way you put that one <laughs> oh, in those bicycles expensive kit yeah in those are tens of thousands of rands or hundreds of thousands of rands a bicycle yeah so I, I get it but uh, it was still kind of funny to see these guys issuing their little bicycles down the down the passageway and yeah <laughs> but it, again you know it's a it's a huge positive thing it's a second time i've hit this because i on that episode that we did when i went up the west coast with my daughter and we stopped in that funny little town we couldn't stay in Lurie's fontaine and we had to carry on to the next dorpy oh yeah and they just had like some car rally that came through there oh remember yes. that story yeah yeah the weekend I, before yeah. And they also they'd sold out. The, the the restaurant didn't have half the dishes on the menu. Yeah. So it just goes to show the impact, the positive impact that these local events can actually have on these places. Yeah. The August, I don't know, ten, twelve thousand cyclists or something, or six thousand cyclists arriving Cape Town to to go roaring around the peninsula on their bicycles. That's a yeah. lot of business for hotels, for restaurants. And the yes. guys are still there like two days later. They didn't all pack up and leave immediately that, that, that yeah. first day. They, they stayed a day or two. <coughs> and then they left because you can see the cyclists in, when, they, when they come down to breakfast. The cycle yeah. race was two days ago, but they're still wearing their cycling kit to show everyone that they're a cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was something in the news about a week or so ago about these bi- bicycles' uh, value of 10 million rand that was stolen um, wow I can't remember where it was though actually I did see I did I remember seeing that I think that someone yeah. someone broke into a cycle shop or something one of the big dealers or something yeah yeah no those bicycles but I mean those, it's state of the art stuff it's all super fancy carbon fiber and the lightest best materials yeah. but serious engineering yeah. Okay. It is. Ser- it's a serious piece of engineering that you've got, got the there. Shocks in there. That's the whole thing. That's the whole lot. I mean, beautiful. They're beautiful machines. Yeah. The last time I rode a bicycle, I think I was still at school, riding up and down to school. And after that, I yeah. swore I'd never ride a bicycle in my life again. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so I mean that that was that was impact number one that I saw. So the next day, 
arrive at Cape Town International Airport, pick up the clients. And again, kind of a little bit eerie because you go to the International Arrivals Hall. Yeah. And I think there were five of us waiting for people. That's it. Kupela. Five of us. Oh, my word. Okay. Waiting for arrivals in the arrival hall. Now, whether that's people scared of going into the airport, whether it was just a group or whatever, because the flight apparently was yeah. pretty full. My clients got off the flight. They said the flight was full. British Airways, yeah, big Airbus lands, and the clients come out, and there was there was there was there was a fair number of people walking down the down the corridor yes. into the airport. Very pleasant flight. Flight arrived on time. British Airways doing doing what they always do well. Yeah, <laughs> and that day we decide now. Um, to go up Table Mountain. Again, bit weird. You arrive at Table Mountain, no queues. No queues. You can go straight <laughs> into the counter, buy your tickets, walk up the stairs. You know, you got to trek up some stairs, and you go to a, a, an elevator lift, and you go up two yes. stories, and you go, bang, you're standing at the doors to the cable cars. Yes. Yeah. There was a constant stream of people. Okay. And while we were standing waiting for our car to arrive because they close the gates on like a minute before the car stops the next people have to go to the other side and wait for the car after yours yeah and so while we were standing there that was already filling up okay so you know a nice constant stream of people going through but certainly not the queues halfway around and down the main road that 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 i've been to a couple of times before at the cable car but you get to the top and even while you in the in the gondola, I mean, I, and I love that gondola. It's a, it's a again, it's, it's beautiful engineering. It's a very, 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 very fancy. I think they Swiss Swiss made gondolas. Okay. And um, the nice part about them is when you get in, the operator gives the speech. You know, this is Table Mountain. It's a national park and it's a heritage site. And please don't pick flowers and da 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 da. da. And then he warns you that the floor is going to rotate. <laughs> now, there's an awful lot of people that just don't and cannot handle these cable yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah. They really just can't handle cable cars. So they all tend to huddle in the middle or huddle around the, the, the cable car driver who sits in the middle of this thing. Yeah, yeah. Or you see people standing at the side and they've got this white ne- white knuckle death grip on the handrail. <laughs> 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 and the guy starts the cable car and then he says right guys I'm going to start rotating the floor and you see these poor guys are they holding on for dear life onto the rail and now their feet are moving out from underneath them yeah. and eventually they start standing skew because their feet are moving and they don't want to let go of the handrail eventually they have to <laughs> but again oh, yeah. you know it's one of those iconic things in South Africa the cable car Stupid expensive, okay. Yeah, it's crazy expensive to get up on up on Table Mountain. How much is it these and days? And it, it puts it out of reach of um, sort of the normal family, I would imagine. Yeah. If I look at us here, we going. Let me check what I paid here. <laughs> one thousand one hundred and seventy rand. Oh. Wow, yeah, that that is expensive. So that that you know, family of four, you're looking one and a half grand to get a family sure. of four on top of my table mountain. You go, whoa, guys, we've got we've got to look at some of this pricing. I get it, yeah. big kit, iconic table mountain. I get I get all the positives of it. Yeah, but some of these pricings are just starting. 
to kind of get out of reach for the for your for your average guy. Yeah. But Table Mountain is stunning as usual. I mean, the views you get from the top of Table Mountain are just mind-blowingly beautiful. It's just it's one of those spots that you got to you got to do it once. You just have to do Table Mountain once in your life at least. Yeah, after I've heard that price, I think I'll. Um I'd rather give that one a skip, eh? No, you can't. You've, you've <laughs> actually got to knock, you actually got to bite the bullet and do it once. You, you just no. have to. I've been on Table Mountain, but that was many years ago. No, I think I'm showing my age, but I mean the the, the little the little cable car that they've got standing there as a historical monument. I actually went up in that thing. So <laughs> <laughs> and those were scary. That was like ten people open sided. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, like a, it's the size of a six foot table kind of thing. So you're like ten people in there and off you go up up the mountain. It was yeah. a, a, kinda of, kind of a scary scary gadget. Yeah. But again, you get on top there and you hear the different languages. And there was one crowd, and I forgot to mention this a little bit earlier, but I, they were on the flight with me from Hoodsbury to Cape Town. Okay. And in Cape Town Airport, they were standing there gathering your luggage, and I'm listening to the language, and I'm trying to put a, put a country to it. And it, it, it was Spanish. And oh. I'm going, okay. And I actually asked the one guy, I said, sorry, man, where, where do you come from? And he said, it's a group from Mexico. Ah, and that for me was again it's a little bit unusual because Mexico is not high on our list of yeah sort tourist sources yes but there, there were a group of eight eight or ten people out of Mexico fantastic and nice. I just said thank you for coming to South Africa great guys yeah. really nice welcome please welcome <laughs> have have fun you know it's a table mountain happened again foreign languages you hear the French you starting to hear the French the German the Dutch the Flemish you hearing those foreign languages on top of the mountain yeah. And it's just, it's just so nice to see that these guys are coming back. It's all small groups. It's all two people, four people, small groups. I think what's happening, like I predicted a while ago, is that the tourism is starting, but it's individual bookings. It's yeah. a couple coming. It's a little family of four coming. Yes. I do say that yesterday I saw a picture on one of the Facebook pages that I, that I follow, which is the National Federation of Tourist Guides and Affiliates. Okay. Now, in order to take people around the country, you need to be a qualified and a licensed tourist guide. <laughs> and you got to go through training courses and you write an exam yeah. and stuff. And eventually you get this little rugby ball badge that you can wear on your shirt. <laughs> and Rugby ball. He put a, a picture, one of the guys put a picture up of our tambo of the bus the bus parking now our tambo next to the city lodge hotel and by the i think it's intercontinental there's a parking area for coaches that's the coach arrival and departure spot yeah yeah and that's been empty for two years and there was a photograph up there i think of six coaches waiting sure for clients to arrive <clears throat> well that's good to know fantastic fantastic and to give you an idea the, that that uh, the federation of tourist guides had to provide over 2,000 tourist guides and coach drivers with food parcels during COVID. Whoa. Okay. There is no That's work. a lot. These guys, you make your money contracted in per tour. Yeah. So a client yeah. arrives, you get paid from day one when you meet them at the airport. And you, the last payday is the day they wave goodbye. And that's your end of contract for that group. And you hope that the, that the tour operator books yeah. you again. Over 2,000 people relied on this federation for food parcels during COVID. That's how bad it sure. got. 
Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. That, that's, that's really bad. That's, that's shocking. And uh, no help from government. Yeah. Zip, they made a lot of big song and dance about Yippie will help and this and put your this in, put your that in. <laughs> but I don't know of anybody who got any help from government on that. Yeah. On that stuff. So maybe I speak under correction. Maybe someone could put me right on this one that there were people who got help. I know of no one that got any help. Yeah. Um, during COVID, you were left left on your own. Here you go. Sorry, you're a tour guide. Um, just magically survive for two years, please, and come back later. Yeah. But anyway, next day, off we do. We go and do Cape Point. After, sorry, after Table Mountain, I went over the hill into Hart Bay, oh, hoping, yes. yeah. hoping to catch one of, this, one of the boats out to Dacre Island, because, again, that's one of the... We go and visit the seal colony. Yeah, yeah. The boats have all survived. None, one, not one of them was running in the afternoon. Not enough people. Oh, no. We had a lovely lunch at the restaurant, beautiful lunch at the little deck there at Hart Bay Harbor. Yeah. And, I mean, look, for the Americans, they've just landed out of God knows how many hours of flying. I mean, they flew from from Arizona to New York, New York to London, London to South Africa. I mean, the, the, goodness the, gracious. The, the terrible. I mean, the, the yeah. hours and hours and hours in aeroplanes. Yeah. So they've just, got, just survived that. And the next thing you know, they're eating those beautiful haken chips on this little deck overlooking Hart Bay Harbor. Yeah. I mean, just beautiful. The sun is shining. And I mean, Cape Town and that area is just spectacular. Yes. Anyway, so back over the mountain that day, call it a day. They were finished. They were actually passing out in the car with jet lag. So I took pity <laughs> on them and took them to a hotel. We checked in like three, four o'clock in the afternoon next day was um trip out to cape point boat trip out seal island fantastic over chapman's peak also a fantastic drive you duck around the corner and you get out to cape point nature reserve again expensive i'm gonna moan and bitch about all of these places (laughs) but i think they're actually outpricing it yeah and especially for locals Yes. They, they do have a two-tier system, so South African residents pay less than internationals, but I still think they're ripping it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but Cape Point, stunning. And again, we, we we I had the time, only two passengers, so it was easy. I, could, I took the little road down to uh, Biffles by. We saw Eland, we saw Ostrich, we saw Bontebok. We picked up one of the Cape Mountain zebra. We ah, had ostrich on the beach. Nice. We had baboons all over the place. Beautiful walk up to the up to the lighthouse. You know, again, just a fantastic little little spot. Nice views out over over the whole of False Bay. Crystal clear day. Yeah. You could see Cape Hunklip on the other side. You can see all the way up to the beach in Musenberg. On the way back, of course, you do the um, the penguin colony in Boulders. <laughs> Always fun. Penguins. I still remember when you ripped out your phone when we were having that other interview with Cherry Berry. Next moment you hear those penguins here over the microphone. No, but look, those penguin colonies, that, that's, just, that's just a cool spot. Yeah. It yeah. is just... Um, <clears throat> Oh, that was. Uh, it's just it's just one of those little spots that is that is that is. <laughs> Here we go. Hang on, let, let's get the penguin going for the listeners who don't know what a penguin sounds like. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. And Boulder's Beach again. Penguins were extinct on the mainland. One day, a couple of penguins arrived there in Simon's Town. Everyone goes, ooh, our fantastic penguins are back. Before you know what happens, you've got a couple of hundred penguins. hundred penguins grows to like 3,000 penguins. <laughs> Becomes a tourist attraction. Now that the residents of Boulder's Beach are maybe not so sure about having a thousand of these um, African penguins braying in their backyards and yeah. stuff. But they're still cool. I mean, I, I love going to see the penguins. The photo opportunities are amazing. Yeah. Penguins are literally within two, three feet of you. Sure. Um, That's close. My clients were on, on the little walkway. And on top of Table Mountain, I warned them about the dussies. Because there's always the dussies on top oh, yeah. of Table Mountain. Yes. But it was a bit chilly, so we didn't see any dussies. <coughs> we get to Boulder's Beach. As I'm walking back up the walkway, there's a, two dussies now come and play on the walkway in front of me. And I'm trying to call my clients. But they've been distracted. There were another penguin was doing something. Oh, yeah. And before I knew what happened, these dussies had a little, little mini disagreement with each other. <laughs> and the one dussie now chases the other dussie all the way down the walkway. My clients weren't paying attention and ran over the daughter's feet <laughs> while she jumped. <laughs> uh, then, then the dussie calmed down and they took some pretty pictures of the dussies. And then it was just straight back into into Cape Town. Next day was an interesting day. We drove out um, down towards Hansby to do, go and do the shark diving. One of his bucket list items, the oh, father, yeah. was yes. he wanted to do the shark diving. Now, Hansby has made their name on the Great Whites. National Geographic has produced the, the, the those beautiful documentaries where you see the Great Whites coming up and do the like the the yeah. take of a seal and they, so they breach and you see the thing flying in the air. Yeah, yeah. And... Again, a little bit heartbreaking. You get into Hansby, and Hansby, it's a beautiful drive, and you go down through Hermanus, down through that area. I mean, Hermanus, Hermanus seem to be doing okay. I think Hermanus is seeing an influx of people moving in from Gauteng, big money. It's a big, yeah, big, big, big yeah. money area. Beautiful little spot. You had a lovely lunch, a little restaurant there. Yeah, I love, I love that area. And next thing we drive down to Hansby, and Hansby was very, very quiet. But I think that's due to the fact that it's, it's a, probably ninety-nine percent holiday holiday type of spot rather than yeah. a residential spot had a fantastic little guest house on a on cliff road beautiful view out over towards cape hunklip and cape point just oh, nice. mind-blowing absolutely yeah. beautiful but the next day we go down to the shark diving and there used to be eight operators now there's only four oh four of them have wow. shut up shop because of covid sure 50 mortality rate but we get out, we get there, and we're having a chat to the guys. The skipper comes, and he gives us the whole story. And interestingly enough, the Great Whites are now all but gone out of False Bay and along that southern coastline. Oh, why? And the orcas, the killer whales, <coughs> oh. are eating the Great Whites. Oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's from a biology point of view, it's very, very interesting, because Great the, the killer whale stroke orca I'm going to call them orcas Yeah I remember when I was at university And doing my BSc Botany Zoology and stuff For the mammals and all the rest of it The orcas was an absolute outlier That had been seen like once or twice Ever along our coastline Yeah It had made the list Because it had been seen Yeah yeah, As an absolute vagrant And now they are regularly seen along the coast So something in these last couple of years Has changed it's changed yeah 
And these guys, apparently, the skipper was telling us, when they get hold of a great white, they actually chase this great white until the great white is so exhausted that the thing can't swim anymore. Oh. They, he, they okay. take the great white, they flip it on its back. If you flip a shark on its back, it sort of goes, it goes like com- comatose. It's oh. the weirdest thing. And that's, okay. that's any shark. That's interesting. And then they would take out its liver. They take out the stomach and the liver and the internal organs. Huh. And they, the guy was telling us they've actually found a couple of the great white carcasses washed up on the beach. Okay. With that whole chunk of their insides just missing. Yeah. And the bite marks of orcas on it. Sure. And he was telling us that the great whites now, they actually somehow signal each other. They send out a pheromone or something. And they just, then they say to each other, listen, boy, this is, this is not a great spot to be here. <laughs> Get out of the spot. And yeah. the great whites have actually seemed to have moved out of that area. Yeah. However, the, the, the shark diving, very professional operation. Very very cool little safety briefing. You sit down, the guy shows you the cage, how to do it, how to handle it, how to get in, how to hold on, all the rest of it. Get on the boat, off you go. You can get changed on the boat. They give you your wetsuit, they give you they give you mask, they give you little booties. Yeah. And then they drop the cage off the side. They, well, they go out and first they anchor. It's an interesting way of anchoring because they throw the anchor out. And then they've got like a little a, A-shaped anchor. So the boat thing pulls sideways against the current which is oh, really cool okay. because then they put you the cage on the leeward side so you're not hit by the current yeah yeah so four people get into the cage and then they start throwing out the chum ah. and the first sharks had already arrived before we stopped the boat oh okay the guys had literally stopped <laughs> the motors and we saw the first shark coming in underneath the boat okay and the shark that that is that is the current star of the show is a thing called a bronze whaler shark Okay. It's not a very well-known shark. Yeah, it's a big guy. They get they apparently they can get to just on three meters. Okay, and it's apparently number ten on the danger list. I don't know. People love making up these lists of dangerous sharks. You know, like Great White is number one, and yeah. the Bull Shark Stroke Draggy is number two, or the Bull Shark Stroke Zambezi is like number two in danger. And then yeah. it's this one, yeah. that one, this one. This one is up on the list of, of, of sharks that bite people. Okay, it's but. Uh, you know, they throw they throw out the chum and there's little bits of, of herring and fish and a bit of bit of stuff and they throw it out. And four people go in and the skipper stands or the the, the, the guide guy stands on like a little crow's nest thing because he's now got an aerial view and as he sees yeah. the sharks coming to the cage he shows go down, go down, you hold your breath, you go in underwater and you now got this 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 view of these sharks. Yeah. And I was imagining that I wouldn't last very long in that freezing cold water. But when I got in, yeah, they actually have to call you out. You get used to the water. Yeah, yeah. It's not that cold. It's cold, but it's not that cold. It takes the breath yes. away when you leap into it to start with. And it's always the wetsuits are horrible because you sit there and then you get this little trickle of cold water that like goes down. Yeah, And you yeah. feel one little dribble of cold water going down. You're going, no, 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 not there, not there. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole idea of a wetsuit is that you get wet yeah. and that you warm up that layer of water between you and the, and the, and the suit. And it works. Yeah. And at one stage, we had 12 sharks around us. Wow. And these things are literally right there the, they actually the noses actually bang on the cage as they're coming to investigate yeah what's yeah. going on so i mean the one girl you actually heard a shout scream underwater as the, as the shark yeah. actually gave her a serious bang on the cage yeah she, she let go and she sort of hit herself against the back end of the cage yeah and gave her you, you could even hear a scream <laughs> from underwater she had screamed underwater yeah. so it's, it's a heck of an experience a lot of fun 
Yeah. It's, it's worth doing. It really is worth going there for that shark dive. Yeah. There's always a chance of a great white. You can't say no chance. Yeah. yeah. But the great whites are taking a bit of a hammering at the moment. Yeah. So let's see how that biology plays out. Maybe the orcas trek away again or something or move or I don't know what's going to happen there. Yes, yes. But then that afternoon we went back to Cape Town and stayed in a little hotel right at the airport. Very, very fancy hotel, very green airport. Or not the airport, a very green hotel. They say it's the world's oh. greenest hotel. Okay. Little wind turbines outside the main door. Little signs everywhere. They recycle water. The grey water gets used to flush the toilets. Oh, you don't yes. move in your bedroom, the lights turn off. It's the weirdest feeling. I was sitting at the desk doing some work on my PC and the lights turn off. <laughs> yeah. And you go, okay, that's spooky. And you move and you wave your arms around, the lights turn on again. <laughs> 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 so they work on some kind of sensor system to save yeah, electricity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah, next, next day, back on little airport shuttle into airport. And our flight back to Hoodsprite was again it was it was probably about almost three quarters full. So okay. Cape Town Hoodsprite again yeah. can kinda lack and then Hoodsprite Hoodsprite's a surprising place. We arrive we arrive at the at the airport, we unpack, get the car, I hook up the trailer and stuff. Now we're going into town to go and do some shopping because I need stuff for the brides and stuff because so we stayed in some camps that haven't yeah. got the restaurants. And on my way into Hoodsprite, when I dropped the car, I thought I'd go a day early and I'd just find somewhere to stay. Yeah, yeah. And Hoodsprite is an absolute booming little town. It really is seems okay. to be coming quite a, quite a metropolis. There's brand new shopping centers there. There's all, everything you need is, is, is there. I found a fantastic hotel. Um, I'd seen it on, 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 on Facebook somewhere where they've converted an old 737 into, into a hotel. Oh, nice. So you drive in there, and there's this aeroplane on stilts, <laughs> and they've divided, I think there's five bedrooms. Nice. Four bedrooms. Four bedrooms. The pilot's cabin is still open, so you can walk in, and all the instruments and stuff are there. Yeah. yeah. The deck is sort of on a level with the wing, so you can you actually walk out on the wing to oh, now go sit on the deck. That's Beautiful nice. views over the mountain. Look, the rooms are small, eh? The rooms are tiny. Yeah, I can imagine. You, you, yeah. Can't, um, you can't open your suitcase and then still walk in, be in your bedroom. So, suitcase <laughs> on bed, take out what you need, close suitcase, put suitcase behind door, then you've got yeah. a little passage to walk and get onto the bed. You can't walk around the bed because the bed's pushed up against the side and against the yeah. bathroom and stuff. But just a really, really... Interesting and cool, cool little spot to stay. Yeah. So these kind of spots are developing in Hoodsprite. Had a fantastic meal at a restaurant there. I had like a a venison combo meal, and they gave me a piece of a piece of um, kudu and a piece of impala and a piece of wildebeest. Absolutely oh, beautiful nice, meal at first nice, night. Nice, nice, nice. So Hoodsprite is definitely turning into a very, very nice holiday destination, a little wildlife hub. And obviously the the bonus being that it's 45 kilometers from Open Gate. It's right there. Yeah. And you've got all the private reserves from the Manuleti and the Timbavati yeah. right on the doorstep. You've got Kapama literally on the doorstep there as well. Yeah. Isn't that uh, where Tom Cruise is uh, shooting well, that it movie? Is, it is kind of interesting because we actually saw that on our last day. Oh, okay. But we first go into Kruger. Kruger is Kruger. I find it very hard to criticize Kruger. <laughs> okay, before we move into Kruger, mm. I'm going to play some music and then we'll be back shortly. Cool. We'll have a breather. Okay, let's kick over this one.
Okay, and we are back here on the road trip show uh, with Diedrich, and he's telling us about his trip down to Cape Town and then back uh, towards Woodsbreit. And yeah, let's continue from there. Yeah, so from Woodsbreit into Kruger, and it's a fantastic drive. It was interesting to me that my, my client, American guy, big into his hunting, he could not grasp the concept of private ownership of a game park. Oh, he really okay. struggled to understand how this thing works. Because <laughs> your first part of driving into Auckland, you come out of Hoodsprite, you've got, I think it's Kapama, which is a massive private development on the, on the left-hand side. Then you turn off and you're now heading down the main Auckland road. And eventually you've got the, the, the Timbavati on the left-hand side and you've got the Manialetti on the right-hand side. And those are, that's private land. Yeah, yeah. And he really struggled to get this private land, private game park ownership kind of concept. It's, it's something weird. Yeah. to the American mind but eventually we we, we, we got that sorted <laughs> so I don't know maybe it comes out of the consortium of 10 people and, and buy it, buys, buys a hole and holds patch of bush or something <laughs> but I mean, you, get, you get into Kruger literally we, we get into open gate I'm still checking in and there's my clients at the waterhole looking at elephant Oh, okay. not even 2 minutes into the park the first elephant is standing right there and I mean, we kind of take it for granted that that's available. Yeah. Well, to to the European traveller, to the American traveller, this is this is National Geographic Discovery Channel come live yeah, in one yeah. bang. <laughs> anyway, so we we check in, we put we put our kit down that night. We give them give them a good South African braai. And for Australians, it's not a Barbie. Barbie is a little doll with blonde hair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we bry. <laughs> and yeah. we, I gave him some, some nice, like an ostrich fillet and some burrowos and a couple of little pork rashes and things as a starter and some, oh, yeah. some roast, roasted millies. Doesn't know what a millie oh, is. Like they call it, it corn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but just an amazing experience for them. Next day, off to um, Lataba, went up the Timbavati Road, hit the Timbavati picnic site, do a cook-up breakfast for them. While we're cooking breakfast, you got some impala come down, some baboons across oh, in the nice, river. Nice. And he just looks and he goes, you do this with your family. I said, this is one of our favorite kind of holidays of the family. Yeah, your kids yeah. grew up with this. I said, my kids grew up with this. He says, well, in the States, my kids don't grow up with this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> again, awesome, yeah. night night in Lataba, um, they did the afternoon drive. You've got two versions. You can leave like at 4 o'clock in the afternoon at the moment. And you come back, I think, at 7.30, which they call the sunset drive. So you're leaving while you're out the gates closed. So Joe Public has to be inside the camps or out of the park. And then as the sun goes down, the, that vehicle hauls out the spotlights. So then you've got the spotlights. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you come back 7.30. Or you've got the other version. The moment is from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock. So that's a two-hour solid night drive. And I said to them, look, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the, that sunset drive is the better one. Because at sunset, you can still look out. You're looking left and right. You're not dependent yeah, on the spotlights. Yeah. When the spotlights are out, you really got to concentrate on the spotlight. They came back from that first night. They'd seen lion on the drive, very close, very close to the vehicle, and herds of elephant and giraffe and stuff around. Okay. Um, 
Next morning early we went out from Lataba for a morning drive to come back and, and then pack up a little bit later because we also wanted to visit the Elephant Museum. We saw Mating Lion again that next morning just outside of the camp. Okay. Yeah, so it's, you were it's just, very lucky with the wildlife. It's just a spectacular. Look, Kruger, I keep on saying you are going to have to search long and hard to get better value for your money on wildlife viewing than yeah. Kruger. Yeah. Um, one or two of the things in Kruger, I think, that do need a little bit of attention. Um, I couldn't make a cup of coffee in my hut in the morning because my kettle kept on blowing the circuit. Oh! So I, I sneaked out to another cottage and stole their kettle to make myself <laughs> some coffee. <laughs> I swapped kettles out with uh. my next-door neighbor, so my apologies to the next-door neighbors if they kept on blowing their lights. <laughs> but I've got, I've got five or five. We leave at hoppers five in the morning. It's at five o'clock. I've got to have coffee and rest. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's just a given. Coffee, <laughs> coffee made biscuit in the morning. Kruger's a given. Summer, winter, I don't care. That's yeah. the way you start your day in Kruger. <laughs> so I had a sneaker around a stone. I didn't, I didn't wake him up. So I'm clearly quite, a, <laughs> quite an accomplished thief when it comes to that. I wish there was a video camera on you. <laughs> Why are you doing this? That must have been very interesting. <laughs> well, I got woken up the night by something on my veranda. Something decided to take out my dustbin that oh. night. And I, it was literally, I think it was quarter past 12. I hear the dustbin falling over. And I go, okay, I want to see what you are. I run outside and nothing on the veranda. So it must have been a, a honey badger or a, or a Janet or something. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, then to come back, pack up, guys, visit the Elephant Museum. That Elephant Museum is spectacular. They've got the the tusks of the of the Magnificent Seven or the Big Seven, or they, what they call them there. Yeah. And, I mean, the guy stands next to it and he looks at this and he's going, this is 10 foot of tusk. Yeah. This is bigger than I am. It weighs more than I do. I say, yep, and that's just one of them. Yeah. And they've got the beautiful tusk. They've got Ntlulamiti there. They've got Kambaku there. And it's just, it, it's, I, love, I love visiting that museum. And there's a beautiful statue outside there, the bronze elephant standing yeah. outside the museum there as well. But then anyway, from Lataba, we went off down and we get to Olifants, take the dirt road along the river. Get to Olifants. Olifants was our breakfast stop. Absolutely fantastic. You sit on the deck at Olifants. You're above the river. Here's yeah. the guy. He's he's getting he's getting bacon and eggs and sausages. And the the restaurants have woken up. They serve millipup with shishebo now for breakfast, which is awesome. Oh, nice. And you're on the deck. And the first thing, there's a little group of six elephants down on the river, and he's going, wow, gee, this is so oh, cool. Nice. Next thing, there's a herd of a 30-something elephant come down the other side, oh, wow. walk straight across the river while we're having breakfast. Nice. And this guy's over the moon. He's just going, wow, this is, how do you beat that? You know, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, how do you beat that? Yeah. That next night, that night, we then get down to Satara. I got two very nice units right on the perimeter, right the back end of the camp. The clients went on another one of those night drives again. That that one didn't produce too much. For that night, again, it's always luck of the draw. Yeah. Very, the yeah. bush is super thick at the moment. We've had so much rain. With the rain, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, then from Satara, the last night now was we were going to go down to the camp called Talamati. Now, Talamati is one of my all-time favorite camps. It's a little bush camp just south of the main Open Satara Road. And when you talk bush camp, 
It's a camp with no restaurant, no shop, no petrol station, no nothing. nothing. It's got 15 accommodation units. It's got 15 little houses. And the houses vary, I think, from two beds. Two beds. And then, like, one bedroom with two beds. And maybe, I think, there's a sleeper couch in, like, the living room, dining room thingy. Yeah. yeah. And the ones we had were two-bedroom units. So you can put six people in it on the, on the sleeper couch. So my clients had one yeah. house. I had the other house next to it. And again, that night we, we do a nice braai. They went out on, um, they actually went out, I think, on both drives that night. So, no, they were, no, they were that, that night they went on the 8 to 10 one. That night we had a, had an earlier braai. But, I mean, you've got two hides that overlook a waterhole in front of Talamati. Yeah. And you just yeah. sit there quietly and you can see the wildebeers come down and then there's a giraffe and there's a bushbuck that comes and then the baboons come through. And oh, I, nice. I think my clients have actually gone home to the USA because every single day they were in South Africa yeah. they saw baboons every day <laughs> so I said to them please don't go back and sort of say that South Africa is planet of the apes or something you know but every single day we saw baboons every day in yeah. Cape Town was next to the road even on the way back on the panorama route we had baboons on the, on the road yeah. the panorama route every single day we saw baboons Okay. But that night, Talamati, and Talamati is one of those, again, at night it is just dead quiet. The stars are out. We had a little Janet come to visit us yeah. at the Bri. He comes and sits there quietly and he looks and looks at you with big sad, uh, sad eyes, hoping that you're going to throw some food out for him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Either that or he's sort of trying to stare you down or tell you that he's coming to raid your fridge if you don't feed yeah. him. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, then, of course, now we come to the COVID story. Because ah. now we have to fly back to the USA. <coughs> and in spite of, I think, four days or five days of intensive work on the internet, we could not find a single coherent answer as to what was required for this poor guy and his daughter to leave South Africa. Yeah. To leave South Africa, fly to the UK, and then from the UK get an airplane and go to the USA. Yeah. So they must And one be a of our options of was that on the Satara day, I would leave Satara, go to Orpen, go into Hoodsprite, because the laboratory in Hoodsprite, <coughs> go get the test done, come back into the park while they process the test and do whatever they need to do with the test. And um, the results would then come in, and then the last day we'd have the test for them to fly out. Yeah. Bad planning on my part. I've forgotten that Monday was a public holiday. Oh. <laughs> Didn't even cross my radar. You've got so many public holidays in South Africa. I don't think yeah. many people actually pay attention to when they actually are. I think we're standing on 29 or 30 it's, or something. It's, it's crazy. We lose the productivity loss on these public holidays. Is, Too much. It's got to be hurting us. They've got to stop now. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so we try and phone this. No answer, no answer, no answer. Eventually it dawns on me, guys, it's a public holiday. Sorry, it's not going to happen. Okay, well, that leaves us no joints. On the way home, we're now going to have to do COVID tests. <coughs> so, out of Talamati, cook up breakfast in the morning because there's no restaurant. I got to, I had to do breakfast for them. Yeah. Again, awesome breakfast, bacon, eggs, you know, yogurt and muesli and stuff on the on the veranda. The glossy starlings are coming in. The Natal Franklins are coming to coming to visit. Yeah. It's just it's just it's just beautiful. Yeah. Pack up, pack the car, off we go. And get out of open gate, shoot down the highway into into Hoodsprite, and we get to the laboratories. <laughs> and luckily, we were the first ones in line. We got there when there was no one. In the space of 20 minutes, I think that the queue was like 10 people or 12 people long outside this laboratory. So yeah. I think COVID has spawned a nice little industry there for these, these um, COVID test guys. Yeah. So... 
My client goes in and says, listen, I'm flying from here to the UK. I've got a layover in the UK, UK into the USA. What do I need? No one could actually give him a coherent answer. So eventually he says, okay, give me, just give me both tests. Give me a quick test and give me the PCR test. doesn't matter. Just, just, I'm just going to flood, yeah. flood everybody with paperwork. And uh, eventually gets it done. They give him the results. They say it's negative. He says, well, can I have the piece of paper? No, so we need to process it and it's got to go through an app and something and you get a secret code and you've got to log uh, in it. Ah, the whole, the whole freaking story. So just give me the... No, can't give you the paper. Got to get, okay. Off we go now. We get out of Hoodsprite. And then he says to me, no, it needs about an hour, hour or two hours. Or says, but no, he promises within two hours they'll have the results. Okay, fantastic. Oh. Pressure off, pressure off. <laughs> We've now got it, so you'll be able to get on an aeroplane. Anyway, two hours comes, nothing. Two and a half hour comes, nothing. Nothing. Oh. Now we've we've at this stage we've visited the three rondavels, and at the three rondavels we saw the shooting of Tom Cruise's, Cruise's movie. Um, There's helicopters all over the place, and I, I see the helicopter, and I see this helicopter with a big nose camera. Client says, "Isn't that?" I said, "I don't know. It looks like it looks like some kind of land surveying thing, or you know, that's yeah, the size yeah. of this camera." So the, the police use it as well. Ten minutes later, here come two little biplanes, two little. I don't know, yeah. Old little biplanes. Two. Red one, the red one and the yellow one. Come cruising yeah. through. They duck down into the canyon and the helicopter follows them. Yeah. And on the side of the mountain there's a whole little village of tents and things and chudunters and trucks and god knows what else over there. Yeah. Yeah. So we look at this and go, Well that has to be the movie. Yeah. So off go the two little aeroplanes, they do a big circuit. I think they went through the canyon three times shooting some other scene with this, this yeah. red and this yellow aeroplane. So if you ever go and see, what, 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 what is it called? The Mission Impossible 22 or something? Uh, eight. Eight. I think Mission Impossible eight. eight. And you see that <laughs> scene with the red and the, the, red, the, red and the yellow aeroplane? That was shot in, in the Blyde River Canyon. Yeah. You know, I'm not a big fan of Hollywood and what they do, but uh, the economic impact, I think, yeah. of what they are doing is huge. I think it's the second one is shot in South Africa. South Africa is, is not, becoming yeah. a country of choice for movies. It's yeah. cheap. It's easy. There's lots of space. There's lots of places to do it. The labor is not crazy expensive right now. There doesn't seem to be massive restrictions. And here we've got three aeroplanes flying through the Blyde River Canyon. At some stage, one of our Air Force helicopters came and did a bit of a maneuver there as well with a couple of civilians sitting in the doors. I don't know, maybe the Army got contracted in as well to help with yeah. the shooting. But I think it's kind of easy to organize this stuff in South Africa still, and not, not 10,000 regulations, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's got to be 100-odd people... Involved in the shoot, yeah, minimum trucks and tents and catering and cars and helicopters and oh, cameras. And the, I don't know what else is involved there, <laughs> but apparently, they're based in Hoodsprite. So, I mean, the economic impact of that has got to be got to be huge, uh, fantastic. Yeah, apparently, they enlarged the, the, the landing strip. Apparently they enlarged it or something. Bring it on, eh? Bring those dollars. <laughs> Fantastic. Bring it in. The hotels and the spots in Hoodsprite and everything else must be, must be, they've got to be benefiting Yeah. out of this lot. <clears throat> anyway, so we still haven't got COVID results. Phone. Phone laboratory. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, it'll be with you shortly, sir. Have you got this? Have you? Yes, I've tried this. Yes, I've downloaded the app. Yes, I've got my secret code. No, I haven't got my one-time PIN. Anyway, this carries on. I think five phone calls later, eventually. Oh. 
the the emails arrived and I think he got it six times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it all came back negative. <clears throat> and uh, easy cruise back down the highway back into Johannesburg. Drop him at Owa Tambo. Our Tambo's looking kind of busy again, thank goodness. Lots of lots of cars dropping off people at the international departures, which is great. Yeah, yeah. So wave wave goodbye to the clients. And this morning he sends me a message. Oh yeah. At the London airport for our layover and not wearing a mask. Fantastic. Oh. <laughs> They've scrapped the masks in England. There's Lovely. no more masks and mandates. There's nothing in the UK. Wonderful. And that was his message <laughs> message to me. And he's now I think I think he's now on an aeroplane. That was at eleven forty three today. Okay, so not quite. He's probably still on layover in the UK. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he just says no masks in England. Fantastic, absolutely yeah. awesome. Thank goodness. So my clients are happily on their way now, back to the US, back to Phoenix. And he says he will be back. Yeah. Says his wife has got to see it. His mates have got to come see South Africa. Yeah. And I mean, well, a couple of his comments were he never realised what existed here. They know nothing about the history. Of the, I got quizzed on the history of South Africa, <laughs> like you can't believe. I took him to the. I took him when I was in Cape Town. We also visited the Tal Monument. He's absolutely fascinated oh, yes, yeah. about Afrikaans and the development of Afrikaans. He did not know that that existed either. Yeah. So yeah. the history quizzes I, I had to answer on this one, and I mean a, a, a question. I, I had the discussion with my daughter in the car earlier. He says, "What what is an Afrikaner?" <laughs> what is an Afrikaner? You keep on talking about the Afrikaners. What are you an Afrikaner? I say, no, I'm not an Afrikaner. He says, why aren't you an Afrikaner? Well, I'm like kind of from Dutch English background, and I don't speak Afrikaans as a home language. And you know, and how do you define yeah, Afrikaner? Yeah. And, I, and I said, and I, I threw the question back at him, and I said, if somebody emigrates to America, when does he become an American? Yeah. Gods. <laughs> <laughs> When, when, question, when, yeah. when do you become an American? Like he yeah. couldn't give me that answer either. There's no hard and fast rule. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to find out, maybe that's a nice discussion to have at some stage, what makes you an Afrikaner? Yeah. Because we went through France Hook and the whole French, the French Huguenots coming in. Look yeah. at our Afrikaans names, Fourie and Terre Blanche and Dutois. Those are all French names. Yeah. Those are good Afrikaans names now. That, yeah. But that goes back to 16, 1700. Yeah. Do you have to have a name that goes back to 1600 to be an Afrikaner, or is 1800 also still cool? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very good question. Yeah. And what makes you an Afrikaner? The fact that you like Burovos and Brandevin and Coke or something? I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't even <laughs> thinking the same thing. And you have to bry. And you got to bry. Got then, to bry. Then, then I'm qualified. <laughs> yeah. Then I qualify as an Afrikaner. I love brying. Give me skull pikes and buries and pop and sauce. I think on if, the bry. If, if you are born here. And you can speak Afrikaans. And I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm born here. Yeah, I speak fluent Afrikaans, but I don't, I don't think I identify myself as an Afrikaner. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting concept. But yeah. uh, those are the kind of questions that you deal with with, with the tourists. Because the guys have got no, no idea, idea what we have. And they have no idea how awesome this country actually is and what we've yeah. got to offer. Yeah. He had a world-class holiday. And, uh, and he says, the meals he had, the restaurant in Satara, yes, Satara yeah. restaurant, is now run by Cattle Baron. I think okay. I had one of the best fillet steaks I've had in years at the Cattle Baron in Satara. Mm. 
beautiful. You're on the deck. You can hear lions in the background. Yeah. You're yeah. in sort of candlelight, bushy. And here you are with a world-class meal. And he, he pays the bill at the end of the dinner. Yeah. And he says, there is nowhere in America that I could have this quality for this price. It is yeah. un- he's, he's just unbelievable. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, it sounded like that was a good trip. And I see we are out of time again. Uh, but yeah, that was awesome. Thank you for relaying your uh, trip for us. I think that was very interesting. I th- can almost see the stuff around me. <laughs> well, that is kind of the idea. Then, folks, I'm going to be M- I'm MIA for another two weeks. I've got another huge group arriving on Saturday night in Cape Town. Much more involved, and it ends in Victoria Falls. So I'm pretty sure there's going to be a whole pile of stories coming out of those ones. Oh, yeah. And going to be interesting again to do a coach tour. I haven't been on a coach now for two and a half years. I think it is two years, yeah. two and a half years. Be very interesting to see how the coach tour industry has been affected. Yes. By yeah. We're going as well. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you very much uh, for coming in again. I actually thought you were coming back next week, but uh, luckily I was ready. I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> All good, guys. See you again. Thanks, Diabat. Always, always a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome.